Mac Power Users, episode 375, More Big Questions with David and Katie. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? Wow. You know, the, with David and Katie, the way, the way you said that, I'm like, are there other people that it could possibly be with? Like, I know we haven't recorded in a while, but like, do I need to be nervous? I kind of did that from the third person, didn't I? That That's kind of weird. Yeah. Well, whatever. You know, it comes and goes. It's uh, it's good to be back on the mic with you again, David. For um, For those who aren't aware, behind the scenes a little bit, this is actually the first show we've recorded in three weeks. We've... Uh, pre-recorded a bunch of shows because I was on vacation. I, I went to uh, Holland on a tulip time cruise with uh, my mom and some friends and uh, was away. And then uh, you went to some kind of Star Wars extravaganza. Yeah, I did. I I went to the celebration in Orlando. It was kind of fun. I had a bunch of friends that were going to be there. Dan Morin was there from Relay Network and Six Colors. And uh, and my wife wanted a chance to go to Disney World for a few days, so it was it was really weird. The kids didn't go because they had school commitments. They were kind of the adults in the situation. And uh, Daisy and I went there for three days. We had a really good time. Now, did Daisy get to see Disney World at all, or was it like all Star Wars all the time? No, oh, no, she didn't. She uh, she didn't do any Star Wars. Oh, she ditched you. Yeah, every day she got up, got her lift, went over to the the parks. Well, I skipped Star Wars one of the, the three days and spent the day with her. You know, I mean, my my ladies with me in Orlando. I got to go check something out with her. And um, but I had a really good time. Uh, saw a lot of good friends. Met some Mac Power Users listeners there, of course, always. Right, <laughs> we are everywhere, and um, and that was great. And just had a really good time. Uh, your pictures were beautiful that you put on Facebook and some of the other social media you shared. Yeah, I should say um, they're on Instagram. So Instagram.com slash Katie Floyd, if you want to see them, uh, or at least the highlights. I didn't bombard you with with all of them uh, if you want to see them. And I had a lot of uh, Mac Power users, listeners uh, tweet me and send me emails saying, oh, are you in near Germany? Are you here? Are you here? Do you want, do you want to meet up? Do you want to do those types of things? And um, thank you to all of you who reached out and, and asked if I wanted to meet up or wanted to do something. Um, I would have loved to. Um, we were on one of these riverboat cruises. And if you've never been on one, first off, it was fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's like vacationing for dummies. Um, all you have to do is just get yourself to the airport and, and then they pick you up and then they they do everything for you. But um, what was great about that is they do everything for you is they, you know, from the time they pick you up to the airport to the time that they drop you off, um, you know, you, you're kind of in the hands of the the cruise company and um, all of your time is scheduled. So um, unfortunately, that didn't really leave any any side time for any side, you know, Mac Power users, meetups or trips or anything like that. But I, I do appreciate all of you who who reached out and asked. Yeah, I, I was at the droid races because at Star Wars Celebration, they have droid races. And I was I was kind of, I was into it. I was into it. I mean, super into it. And so I was cheering for R2, right? I'm, I'm an old guy. That's who you cheer for. And, and as I'm cheering, a guy behind me goes, Hey, Max Sparky, he recognized my voice. Mike, if you're listening, thank you for, uh, for, for finding me. But we had a bunch of fun. It is funny how you bump into listeners all over the place. But that's not why we're here today. Uh, we did a show like four or five months ago called Big Questions. And we had this outline of big questions that people had asked us. And these are the questions that are, are bigger than we can treat in like a, a feedback show where we only give things a few minutes, uh, but not big enough to give them a whole show. And we've been keeping this running list and the, the list is always growing. So we thought it would be a good day to clear out some big questions. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, by the way, just before people ask, um, I came back with a little bit of a chest cold. So if you if the mic setup is different, if, if my voice sounds different, it could be one of two things. One is I'm broadcasting from a new location. I, I closed on a new house. And the other is I'm a little bit sick. So that's why. But um, with that being said, David, why don't you kick us off um, while, uh, while I sit here and uh, drink my, my tea on our first big question, and we'll go from there. Okay, I'd be happy to. The um uh, we uh, had some news recently about the Apple uh, app. I'm sorry, the, the iOS app called Workflow. Uh, you know, we had Sal Segoin on the show. We had um, Federico on the show. And in the meantime, Apple purchased this Workflow app. And it's, it's an application I've talked about. I even did a video screencast on it that really gives you some powerful automation tools on iOS. Um, the, uh, the questions as I was writing about it on Max Barkey and I was saying, I have like 60 of these workflows that I I'm using at any one time. And you know, what's going to happen is, is Apple going to continue to support it? Or are they going to build something new where I can recreate these workflows? But the question I keep getting emailed now is you say you're using 60 different workflows. What are they? (laughs) So people are asking me, what what am I doing with the app? So I thought it'd be fun to just kind of talk about that a little bit, because if you haven't, you know, really picked up on the workflow app, you should, and now it's free. So you've got, I guess you've got a better reason than any to try it out. It doesn't cost you any money. I do understand it may be sunsetted. So maybe you're going to feel like you're wasting time learning the app, but I I can't help but feel Apple's going to either, continue to develop it or more likely make something similar to it. So these skills will be transferable. Um, Anyway, so what am I doing with it? It, it, Let me just kind of talk in general Uh, on iOS. It's never been very friendly about having applications talk to each other that we've got the URL callbacks and some other kind of hacky things developers have put together over the years. Apple has put in extensions that allow apps to talk to each other but there's never been really a good language to kind of pull them all together. And that's where workflow comes in. It does that. Um, They take advantage of just about every possible uh, hack or way that you can make an app talk to each other. And they use that as glue in their app to combine a lot of different applications. Another thing they do that's really ingenious is they look at the type of data. You know, one of the big problems with sharing data between apps is what is the type of data? Like if you have a photo, a photograph, there is the actual pixels, the image of the photograph, but there's also metadata. There's text description. There's all sorts of different things attached to this file. So one of the problems we always had when we're trying to share data between two different iOS applications is how does application number two know what kind of data you want from application number one? If I go to share a photo with a text editor, What's going to happen? And Workflow tries to solve that problem and and largely succeeds. It looks at the type of data the recipient application is going to need or want, and it looks at the type of data the sending application has, and it it figures out for you, well, he's going into a text editor. He probably wants the text data related to the photo. He doesn't want the actual photo. And that's just a good example of what you can do with Workflow. It allows you to combine all this stuff. Um, but the real, and then the second level of all this with workflow is that it allows you to do multiple things at a time. So I've been talking a long time, Katie, you with me on, on this so far? Yep. We did a whole show on workflow. Yeah, I know, but, but it's, it's really evolved for me since then. And I would also recommend, uh, the gang over at canvas did a whole series on workflow last year. 
uh, where they did five or six shows on it. So if, if you really want to go deep, that's another place to go. Um, but anyway, so, so the thing that I've really kind of come to with workflow um, is what, what do I want to do with multiple app projects? Um, a real simple one is I do these home screen posts at maxsparky.com. And, you know, sometimes I have a friend or somebody that's interesting I meet and I want to feature their home screen. And, you know, readers love it because you get to see apps other people are using and then they give a few thoughts on their favorite apps. But setting that up takes time. And for a while I was doing it with a text expander snippet and then I would go and OmniFocus and create a project. And I had all these steps I would go through for every new home screen. And then I thought one day, well, why don't I just set this all up as a workflow? So I've got a workflow in my... um, in the workflow app, I want to call them recipes, although I guess you're not supposed to. That's what you do with automator. No, they're, they're workflow workflows. Yeah. But, but I, I, just the old automator language in me, you know, catches it. So what it happens, I've created this, this workflow. In fact, I'll share this one on the web by the time this thing publishes, um, where I just ask, you know, what's the name of the person, you know? And then I have another, a second question I ask, is there any additional message? And then, I save those two things as a variable. So now workflow knows that there's a name and then there's um, additional message as a variable. And then I have a bunch of text I've written out with all the questions I ask um, with respect to, you know, making a home screen post. And I insert into those, those variables. So it'll say hi name slash Katie. And then I can with the additional message and then give the whole spiel about doing a um, home screen app. And once that's done, then I have the the recipe open the email application, create a new email. It automatically inserts the subject line, which would be Max Sparky home screen and with a question mark at the end. Um, and then I can input the person's email address and it'll create that email, drop in that text, send the email for me. But that's not all it does. It also will then go into OmniFocus and create a new project. And I use the project scripting that I've talked about frequently on the show and in the OmniFocus video field guide, where I have a whole project that sets up, you know, you know, confirm receipt of the, uh, the details from the person who's going to do the home screen. And I grab the name from earlier. So all this, I only have to type in their name once. And it's, it's not only inserting it into an email, it's inserting it into an OmniFocus project. And then... Uh, you know, and it has the task like, you know, confirm I received it, confirm I got their headshot, you know, conf- you know, set up the publishing date, you know, all the little miscellaneous tasks I do in order to get a home screen post uh, published at Max Sparky. And if that's not enough, then it opens up Ulysses, which is where I do most of my writing for the blog and opens a note for that home screen post. So I actually get the basics of the post written just when the workflow script runs. So I, all I'm doing is type in their name and an additional message. And out of that, I get an email sent. I get a OmniFocus project opened and set up and the beginnings of a post written in Ulysses. And that's a good example of how I use workflow. I mean, it, it does all that stuff for me. In fact, at this point, when it comes to sending out those messages and setting up home screen posts, if I'm sitting from my Mac, I'll literally pull out my phone or my iPad and start the process there because workflow is a faster way for me to do all that stuff than trying to do it manually on my Mac. It's kind of like cheating. That's the whole thing about Mac power users. We want to make you all cheaters. (laughs) It certainly, certainly feels like it. So, but so with the sale to Apple, you know, we all wanted to know what was going on with it. And, and now we've, you know, it, it, it kind of feels bad though. What's happening. Um, 
but what, what? I, you know, I'm not as negative on it as a lot of people are. Okay. I, I, I'm, you know, I have, I'm not going to call the guys that behind workflow my friends because I've not, you know, had a beer with them, but I've corresponded with them several times. Um, they are super passionate about bringing automation to iOS. And I think they were doing just fine on their own. I don't think they would have taken the gig at Apple unless they thought they could make even automation better being on the inside. So I don't know how it's all going to play out. But if I had to bet a nickel, I'm going to say that at some point, probably 2018 WWDC, we're going to find out about a bunch of new automation tools in, um, in iOS. And in the meantime, they've already stated they're not going to add new features to workflow, but they're going to keep it working. Yeah, that that is key to say. They say, just so you know, uh, we have no further planned updates for workflow. But that being said, we are going to continue to support workflow's current functionality and have no plans to end support. And and so my guess, I mean, this is complete speculation that we're going to have workflow for another year and then next year we're going to have something else. Yeah. But the question is, is this is the something else that we're going to have going to be we're going to have workflow and something else or, or is, is workflow then going to go away and we're going to have some kind of crippled feature set of of automator for iOS or, or whatever it is? Well, it's a, that's the question. I, 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 if I bet a nickel, I'd say workflow is going to stop existing at some point. Right. And whatever the new thing is, is going to be the new thing. But, but if they build, you know, it's possible that we don't have to use these hacky URL schemes and other stuff that Apple will actually build an underlying language and APIs to make it even easier for app developers to get in on this. Um, but a, a, anyway, I, I, I'm going to be more positive about it than a lot of other people are, but I, I feel like, it's out there and I think Apple gets it. I think the people they just hired really get it. Now, I guess, I guess there's always the question of will they get stifled inside, you know, Cupertino? I don't know. But but that's just an example of something I'm doing. A, a couple other examples of things I'm doing with um, with workflow, like OmniFocus projects and workflow are great because you just you set up the script. And I, I've explained this, uh, like I said, in the video field guide and we talked about it on the show, but OmniFocus is highly scriptable. So you can have very advanced projects that you can activate with the touch of the button and the dates are relative. So if you say like, we're going to publish the Mac power users on June one, you can have it give you a notice on June two to make sure to tweet out a link to the show. You know, it's all great. And and one of the things I do with workflow, not only can I create a, a OmniFocus project in workflow, I can create multiple OmniFocus projects in workflow and activate them with one button. And the whole thing for me is trying to reduce the amount of time I spend inputting data and doing kind of the background stuff that the computer should be doing, doing for me. So when I get a new client, uh, a new legal client, there's like three different OmniFocus projects. I have to set up the file. I have to create a retainer agreement. I have all these different things that are, that are separate OmniFocus projects. Um, I do that all with one button in workflow. It, it, it runs three separate create new OmniFocus project scripts in one workflow. It sounds silly and it's obvious in hindsight, but it took me a little while to get there. Um, Ulysses support and workflow is really great. And that's one of the reasons why this app is increasingly useful to me. So almost any time I do um, a project that's going to involve writing uh, I've been able to tweak these workflow scripts in order to set up the writing project to begin with. If I if I have to write a motion, uh, there's certain common motions I write as a lawyer over and over again. Um, I like the idea of having separate buckets for the individual pieces of the motion. So 
as soon as I fire off a trigger in workflow, it sets up the Ulysses project and sets up all the different text buckets for the introduction and the points and the legal authorities and the conclusion and all the other research notes and all the other stuff that I want in my standard Ulysses project for writing one of those briefs. Let me ask you this. Uh, how much uh, we, we've done entire workflow shows. So, you know, we can't, we can't redo that here, but no, I'm just giving an idea what I'm doing. I'm not telling you how I'm doing. I know how much time going forward are you going to devote? Cause I think a lot of people want to know this. Are you going to continue to devote and creating new workflows now that we know we have an uncertain future? Um, I, I'm going to continue to develop and use them. The, the, the thing is once you learn the application, it's not that hard. And there is certainly a theme here. I mean, there are certain apps that I use all the time. OmniFocus, Ulysses, email, uh, bear. There's like, there's like five or six apps that I use and I'm intimately familiar with how they work with workflow. And most of the new workflow tasks I create um, are very easily done by uh, duplicating an existing one and building on it. Like that one I talked about earlier about a new home screen post. Anytime I want to have kind of a form email and an OmniFocus project jump out of it, all I have to do is duplicate that project in workflow and make some tweaks. So it does. It, it's a minimal amount of time that I get back immediately by using the app. So I'm still fully invested, still using it as long as it works. And when it stops working, I hope there'll be something as good. But I'll, you know, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. The fact is, right now, I can be very um, efficient on an iPad and iPhone using this application. So I'm darn well going to use it. Well, and it's free right now. So, uh, I mean, I think it still makes sense for people to get into it and to spend some time setting it up because even if it's only around for another year, another 18 months, I, I don't think we're going to see big dramatic automation changes in the next version of iOS that's that's previewed at WWDC in June. I just think that's, that's too soon and that would be unrealistic expectations. Um, but you're still going to get some time and some use out of it. Yeah, another one that I've already published is my expense reporting stuff. When I take a picture of a receipt with my phone, I, to name the file, you know, all I do is create a PDF out of it, and I run a workflow, um, and it 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 gives it, it it pulls the current date, it puts the coding in for whether it's a Max Sparky or a, um, a a Sparks Law expense, and it gives me one little text field to write in a description. It, it names it, saves it to Dropbox, does all that stuff for me. And the only action I do there is, is type in the name or the description of the file and everything else happens. Um, the, the, what workflow gives me is the ability in some instances to be more efficient and quick on an iOS device than on my Mac, which is pretty impressive. So there it is. You know, go check it out. There's a lot of good resources out there. Listen to the guys on, um, on Canvas talking about it. Go check out my uh, video field guide on workflow. You know, whatever. There's, I'm sure there's free stuff out there too. But, the, um, but I, I wouldn't give up on it in the next year. I think it's still something that can make a huge difference. I'll start posting some more of my scripts too so people can see them and, and build on those. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Making Light. Craft a daily ritual to focus on what matters most with a candle subscription from Making Light. And also gets mom some candles for Mother's Day. Making Light is a U.S. company that makes outstanding candles. But there's so much more than that because they create a product that helps you create a ritual to focus on things that matter most. Just to give you an example, lately I've been working a lot on the legal stuff and I've been wanting to put more time into some of my bigger Max Sparky projects. I've got some books and some other things I'm working on. 
So I started using my making light candles to kind of put me in the zone to work on Max Sparky projects. I've got the candle sitting right here on my desk and it's always looking at me, reminding me, hey, what have you done? And when it's time to work on the projects, I pull out a match, I light it, I set the candle up and I start working. It's a little thing, but it really helps me do the things that matter most. Moreover, as I see the candle burning down, I get a certain degree of satisfaction, knowing that I'm putting a lot of time in on some projects that I'm really passionate about. Maybe I'm gaming my brain a little bit, but it works. In fact, you'd be surprised. 92% of the people that sign up for a Making Light subscription stick with it month after month. When it comes to candles, there's a lot of variance in quality. With the Making Light candles, you're getting the best of the best. They use 100% botanical soy wax. The wicks are cotton woven, high quality, without any metal in them. And the fragrances are great. In fact, if you tell them that you prefer one over another, they'll take care of you. I'm a particular fan of their green tea candle, which is no surprise, and they send me one every couple months. So why don't you go ahead and sign up for a Making Light subscription? Just try it for a month or two and see if it helps you the way it helps me. These subscriptions also are a great gift, especially with Mother's Day coming up. And if you're going to give a subscription to candles to someone, give them the spiel. Explain to them that you're giving them the candle to help them focus on something important in their life and help them create a ritual. I've been a long-time subscriber to the Making Light Candles, and I can't recommend it higher. To learn more, head over to makinglight.us and check it out for yourself. And if you use the offer code MPU, you'll get $5 off. Thank you, Making Light, for a great product and supporting the Mac Power users. Katie, I have a feeling these big questions shows are going to be around for a while. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I just picked it. You, I just, just used the whole segment on one. <laughs> did 20, 20 minutes on, on workflow. That's that's all right. Um, all right. Sorry, I got excited. I'll, I'll try and rein it in. <laughs> you always you always get excited and go off on tangents. That's all right. That's why people love you so much. But okay. Another question we get very, very frequently um, deals with sharing uh, files and cloud storage. So it mainly revolves on how do you share and store files securely on the cloud? And then specifically, uh, kind of a tangential question we get about that is about these private cloud options, because we talked in our tinfoil hat episode, all of these cloud services that we use and love, and I use and love them too, you know, Dropbox and iCloud and those types of things. Uh, they're only private until somebody gets a subpoena and gives up your data or you have an employee gone awry and and they access your data and and those types of things. Now, I don't want to be alarmist about it, um, you know, and and there is some things that you can do, such as having, you know, good passwords and things like that. But your data is still sitting out there on on somebody else's servers. So, you know, there there is this whole question about, you know, security versus convenience, and then how should you be sharing and, and storing these these files online? And to what extent can you create your own uh, private cloud if, if you really don't want to use someone else's service? Now, you know, we thought we had the solution to this a couple of years ago um, with a, a product that that advertised quite a bit on our show called the, the File Transporter. They launched as a Kickstarter. Um, they were from the original team that made the Dropo. They were quite successful. I know we had a lot of Mac Power users, listeners um, who, who bought transporters, a lot of them at, at our recommendation. I, I had two or three of them. Um, I think I ended up buying a couple more and giving them as gifts. Um, but ultimately, uh, Transporter got, you know, they were so successful and it was such a great idea, really ahead of its time. Um, they ended up getting bought out by Nexan, who who really acquired them, uh, mainly, I think, for the technology. 
And um, Nexan really wanted them uh, primarily for use in the enterprise space. So although the personal cloud transporter, you know, stayed around for a year or so, I think that was mainly to provide warranty support and things. And my understanding is that if you have one, it will still work for now. Um, but, you know, no updates, no support. And at some point, those those DNS servers are going to get turned off. And I think at some point, it's very likely that they may stop working altogether. Um, I'll tell you, a couple of months ago, I finally turned mine off and just uh, pulled the hard drives out of them and, you know, reformatted them and, and repurposed the hard drives for, for other things. Um, David, I don't know if you're still using yours at all or, or whether they're still working, but... Um, yeah, I shut them down when we got to Sierra. I just decided I, I just don't... I, I was relying on it for work-related stuff, and I didn't want to have it st- suddenly stop working on me. I wanted to be in control of that. Um, so, unfortunately, that that is not a, a great solution anymore. So the question then becomes, what do you do? Um, a lot of Mac Power users and listeners have, have uh, pointed us to Lima, L-I-M-A. Uh, they appear to be currently be in beta, and you can get on their wait list. Um, I do not have one of these devices yet, so I can't give you any personal experience, but we've had a lot of people write us and tell us about it. Um, and it looks like a very similar device to Transporter. It's one of these USB network-attached devices. Uh, kind of looks like the Transporter, not doesn't look at all like it, but the, the concept is a lot like the Transporter Sync, where you bring your own hard drive, you plug it in, um, and the Lima will will get you attached and, and you can have your own storage space and it does some other stuff. Uh, David, have you had any experience with that or? No, I've been watching the uh, the um, the website and just I want to see how it goes. Um, yeah, but I mean, it is very much the same idea. You know, you keep your personal files on your drive at home, but they have cloud access. And because it's in your home, you have the ability to make them unconnected from the Internet. And that, to me, was always the big selling point of Transporter. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's available at meetlima.com. Um, and it's it's just this little box. And on one end, it's got an Ethernet port. And on the other end, it's got a USB port. So you connect it to your router. Um, the other end, you, you plug into an external drive. Um, and then it appears on your devices or it appears on, they've got um, iOS apps so that you can um, you know, play music or watch videos or, or access your, your documents. So uh, a very um, similar um, idea t- as, as the transporter. Um, you can also connect a second device so you can back them up to, to each other. Um, they're currently on a waiting list. So you have to, to join a waiting list in order to, um, uh, to purchase one at this point. Uh, and then they also have uh, a Lima Ultra model, um, which is kind of their um, their new thing, which which does some other thing. It says the waiting list for that is is almost full, but it's supposed to um, increase performance and do some other things. So if you're if it has gigabit Ethernet and some additional RAM and a faster processor, so it's a lot faster than the original. So um, if you're interested in that type device, then then that might be an option. But you know, of course, we never we never know the future of these types of things. Yeah, and one of the things about Transport, the reasons I was comfortable recommending it, is because I spent time talking to the founders and the getting an idea what their idea of privacy was and and respect for users. Um, I don't know anything about this Lima company. They may be great. They may not be. I don't know. But but take that into mind when you're making a decision on something like this because. You know, you're looking at a device to put data that you consider private enough that you don't want on a Dropbox type service. 
So, you know, that's something I I want to look into further before I went down the road with Lima, but it's it, it seems like the right idea. I mean, it's certainly the same type of product as Transporter. If any users are uh, are on the list or getting one, let us know. I mean, listeners, we'd love to hear about it. Um, the other thing that you can do is if you have one of these um, smart NAS type devices, a lot of them will either interface with other type of software or will have include their own software um, that includes file sharing service. So this would be a network attached storage device that you have in your home that, that you would then interface with. Um, I use a Synology now, um, and they have their uh, DS cloud storage um, option. So basically what you do is you install their cloud station software, um, both on the NAS, which it, it kind of comes pre-installed, and then you, you install cloud station drive both um, on Mac and on iOS. And it works very similar um, to a Dropbox type thing. Uh, you you put files, you tell them what you want to be able to access, and then the files will sync back and forth between multiple devices or or between multiple, you know, if you've got multiple NASs either at home or at the office. Um, then you can also, if you want, choose to sync them with various cloud services like Google Drive or Backblaze B2 or Dropbox or OneDrive and Amazon Cloud Drive and, and those types of things if you wanted to replicate um, those files somewhere else. Those are but that's getting you back into the same issue. I'm saying if you wanted to, you don't, you don't have to, um, you know, if you wanted a backup of those types of things, but you can keep it totally private and, and, um, on your network. Now, of course, private to the extent that your network is secured and locked down. Those always being the caveats to these types of things. Um, but it's a, it's a good solution. Of course, speed is going to vary of any of these, depending on how fast your network is and, and how you can access these back at your house. Um, also, compatibility is a thing. You know, people are very used to receiving links to Dropbox or, you know, getting things off the net. Whereas if you get something from one of these other cloud services, it, it may be a little different. But, um, you know, there are those types of options. Another one that we've looked at extensively is uh, BitTorrent Sync. I know TJ Luoma was, was talking about using it quite a bit uh, with a Mac Mini that he had co-located um, and I'm blanking on uh, uh, just Mac Mini, Mac Mini Co. No, who, who who's the service that co-locate? I, I thought I don't I don't keep up. Okay, that but, was Mac Mini Colo, but I think it's a different name now. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that's a that's another way to do it. And I think BitTorrent Sync has actually um, uh, changed their name to Resilo. Um, probably <laughs> because probably the, because there's so the many bad the stigmas. Yeah. Um, associated with with BitTorrent BitTorrent Sync because um, but, but the BitTorrent Sync as a technology is yeah BitTorrent as a technology solid. is great technology it's just it's so great that people were using it to steal money uh, steal movies and distribute viruses with uh, crack software so it, it yeah. became a little bit of a problem and then there's also like the the companies like Western Digital Seagate and some of the other hard drive developers that are trying to get on the action now yeah I. I have not been as impressed with what the and, and granted I've had pretty limited exposure. Um, I haven't I haven't had uh, exposure to any of the newer devices, but the, those um, uh, devices that I've seen have not been as featured. They're they're pretty simple. Um, they tend to be some of them will do time machine support. Some of them are more related to um, media storage and those types of things. They they tend to not be as full featured. But you know these are companies that are building mass market you know, off the shelf devices that you can pick up at Best Buy for, um, for everyone to use, you know, not necessarily the Mac power users. 
So what are you doing, Katie, now that Transporter is not working for you uh, in terms of this? I mean, what, what's this the mix between Dropbox or iCloud and, and stuff that doesn't get on those services? Honestly, I am using um, Dropbox almost exclusively for most of the things that I'm doing. If it's if it's something that is um, security conscious, then I'm encrypting it before that I'm I'm putting it up there. Um, and I typically, because I'm all Mac, will will do that with a sparse disk image, um, or a, a, excuse me, an encrypted disk image as opposed to a third party encryption software. Just because I'm I'm all Mac and and that's what I'm familiar and comfortable with. Um, if if it's something that is so sensitive that it can't be on the cloud at all. Um, that I'm probably just not going to put it in the cloud. I, I have tried and tested the um, uh, the the sync on the Synology, and it it works really well. But I haven't had anything quite that security conscious yet that I'm you know just not throwing in an encrypted disk image and putting on Dropbox at this point. Yeah, I you know I I've got away from encrypting things on Dropbox and kind of gone towards it's either something that I'm comfortable in Dropbox or it isn't. And if it's something that I would feel like I need to encrypt it, I'm just leaving it on my drive at home, obviously subject to backups, which is a whole nother show. Um, but it's just not going there. And there's certain client things, certain personal things that just aren't going there at this point. And um, that's working for me. Although I would like to get back to the time of having my own personal cloud. Hopefully this Lima thing pays off or something like it. But right now I'm sitting on the sidelines with this stuff. All right. Well, that one didn't quite take up a full segment. So do you have another one for us? <laughs> always, always. Actually, you know what? Um, the next one on my list, I think is going to take a little while. So let's go on to talking about uh, how you're using Evernote these days. Um, Lots of email. Everybody wants to know what Katie's doing with Evernote. And you don't think Evernote's going to take a while. Okay. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Well, let's start it. We can, we can get as far as we can. So, you know, there's been the whole debate about Evernote. Evernote has changed their business model. They've increased prices. They've they've limited what you can do on the um, on the on the f- lower tier model. They've restricted it so that you just now have access to two devices, and and you have, um, you know, you can no longer use their send to email services and those types of things. And a lot of people got very upset and have have decided to dump Evernote. Um, and then there was a big um, kerfuffle about you know some of their data and privacies, and Evernote has has, techni- has uh, taken a step back on that, which I'm glad to see. I will tell you that I do not begrudge Evernote the ability to make money. I, I don't begrudge them limiting their free plan. Um, I don't begrudge them um, being able to make money off their software. I, I think you should basically consider the entry free level of Evernote kind of a trial. Um, if you like it and you use it, then you should pay them something for it. So to the people who say, you know, I, I'm dumping Evernote because I can't use it for free. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for you. And honestly, I don't think Evernote cares either because you really weren't a paying customer of theirs and you likely weren't going to become one. So, um, you know, good on them for, for finding a business model. I think the question you have to ask is, do you get enough value for, for what you're paying Evernote for? And um, do I get enough value to support their premium tier, which is what I'm currently using? 
that I go back and forth on. Um, I may, when it comes time for renewal, downgrade to more of their their mid level tier based on my current usage. Um, but but we'll have to see. But the bottom line is, is I still am using Evernote. I'm using it very regularly, but I have found that using Evernote for absolutely everything became overwhelming and didn't work for me anymore. I think one of my problems over the years is I was putting everything into Evernote and it just got overwhelming to the point where I really couldn't manage it anymore. I couldn't find things anymore. Organization was really a problem. And um, because I was overusing Evernote and putting everything in Evernote, um, I, I wasn't using it well for, for anything. So I have significantly scaled back what I'm using Evernote for. But I think that as a result of that, I'm using it better. And um, I think that's an important thing to note is although I'm using it less, I'm using it more productively and I'm enjoying when I use it more. So I think it kind of goes back to, you know, the right tool for the right job type mentality. Um, I was using Evernote for a while for all of my, you know, paperless filing system for all of my statements and for all of those types of things. And that quickly became unmanageable. And finally, um, I think it was last year and when we turned into 2016, I just bit the bullet and got all of my archive out of Evernote and just started fresh and created all new Dropbox based files and folders and, you know, started using a series of Hazel rules to, to try to get all the old archive out of there. So pulling all of that information out of Evernote has been a big help. Um, Another thing that I used Evernote for was for, um, you know, legal based forms and templates, you know, in our world, David, a lot of what we do tends to be form based and, you know, I would find a pleading that somebody had done or a form that somebody had used. And I thought, hey, that's a really good form. I really like the way that they did that. I'm going to hang on to this because if I ever come across this issue again, I, I may need this in the future. Um, and so I just throw it in Evernote and tag it or, or name it something. And when I go to look for something or I look for a specific pleading or how to do something, I'd, I'd go in Evernote and look in that. Um, and that has become now hundreds and hundreds of documents Um, And it was becoming untenable. So what I've done is I've now taken that and I've moved that completely over to DevonThink um, because DevonThink has such great search and I kind of wanted some separation. I wanted to use Evernote more for personal things and having all of the the business and the professional stuff in in DevonThink um, gave me that nice separation. So now that I've told you what I've not using Evernote for and I've spent 10 minutes doing that. Um, what I am using Evernote for is I think what it's designed to do best. And I'm using that for managing personal projects. So for example, I just got back from a two week trip, lots of paper in doc, well, no paper, all scanned documents, but lots of documents and planning and things like that, that were involved with that project from airplane tickets to confirmations to Um, you know, different excursions and events and coordinating with people. All of that went into a specific Evernote notebook, a notebook that I could sync, a notebook that I could save offline because data access was questionable there. Um, All of that went into Evernote so that I could pull all of those notes up at a a glance um, on my iPhone, whether or not I had a data connection. And so that was great for Evernote. Um, Everything related to um, the sale of my home, and the purchase of my new home um, and went into Evernote. That was a project in Evernote. 
Now, certain documents, you know, tax related or stuff that I might, um, you know, need for those types of things also got saved into Dropbox. But, um, you know, things like um, manuals or things like the the paint colors that I used um, or information for for reference about the type of wiring that we used or anything that I may need to know or I may need to match in the future. Um, I've, I've got a, a, a category in Evernote just called home. And all of that information went into my home category in Evernote. Um, it's it's filed in there. And if I ever need to look up information on my home about, you know, what what is the code for the ceiling paint, uh, I can look that up and pull it up in Evernote and then walk in the paint store and, you know, just pull up the information and say, this is the exact type of paint that I use. So that, that type of stuff um, has gone into Evernote. And then I'm also using it for, you know, miscellaneous personal notes. Um, and so the, that's, that's how I'm using Evernote now. So I'm basically using it for my personal notes, my personal project, not necessarily long-term data storage, although, you know, the house type stuff will be longer-term data storage. Um, but, but I'm not using it... Um, as a kind of as a everything bucket anymore. Yeah. And the difference is I've kind of never been big into Evernote. So I, most of those problems for that long-term storage, I put somewhere else, but that, you know, it's, it's a solution. It's out there. I, and, and where you started with this conversation saying there's nothing wrong with wanting to charge money for a service. I mean, we're seeing, in fact, then one of the next big questions we're going to answer is dealing with the problem of, of asking for free services and what that means for you. Um, so I'm with you. I think there's nothing wrong with them charging, but, um, just the way the app works just never grokked with me. And, and I just never really wanted an everything bucket in this manner. I think another thing that really changes things is the fact that Devin think, which by a lot of measurements is, 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 is supremely better than Evernote is now so much easier to use on iOS. You know, now their iOS app is a real deal now. So, I can see why people uh, now is a good time to consider, you know, using Devon Think as as your everything bucket. I want to take a moment to thank our longtime sponsor, Smile, and talk about the all new PDF Pen Nine. You can find more information at smilesoftware.com/mpu. The new PDF Pen 9 is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs and going paperless. It includes over 100 enhancements to improve your PDF editing workflow. Just a few of the new features of PDF Pen version 9 includes enhances to the annotation navigation, a greatly updated enhances to the table of contents for PDF Pen Pro version users, additional export options including exporting to JPEG, PNG, TIFF, my personal favorite, export to a flattened PDF, New in PDF Pen 9, you can now remove the OCR layer if you want to take that out before sharing some of your documents. It also supports print buttons in interactive form, and you can now use forms which do calculations. I could go on and on. PDF Pen version 9 is a major feature release. There are over 100 other usability enhancements. But if you want to see more, this guy, Max Sparky, did a video for the folks over at Smile outlining and showing you some of the major new features of PDF Pen version 9. And as most Max Sparky videos, it's pretty entertaining to boot. So I'd suggest that you go check it out over at Smile Soft 
mpu. Now, special upgrade pricing is available because I know most Mac Power users are probably already using PDF Pen. So single user upgrades are available from any prior version of PDF Pen uh, for as little as $30. If you're upgrading to PDF Pen Pro from PDF Pen Pro, that's also available for $30. And if you're using PDF Pen and you want to go pro, you can do that for as little as $50. And of course, there are family and office pack upgrades available as well. Uh, you can find all the details and more over on Smile's website. Head on over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU. PDF Pen is my PDF editor of choice on the Mac and on iOS. Don't forget about their companion iOS app. So go check it out. And thanks to the fine folks at Smile for their support of the show. Okay, this next one is something that just got moved to the top of the list because it's it's kind of timely and I'm hearing a bunch of things from people about it. Um uh, as we record the show, there's, you know, the the, uh, the bloodletting of Uber continues and the New York Times did a big piece on them just last week talking about some of the crazy things that are going on at Uber. And when I was reading the article, something kind of stopped me in my tracks about about two thirds of the way down the article. They talk about how um, Uber was researching one of their competitors, Lyft, and what they did was they bought email and you know they they, uh, they went to a company that that sells email data. So they found uh, this corpus of people's emails, and they yanked out all of the emails concerning Lyft receipts and gave it to Uber so they could study it. And and that's kind of just the the big line item of what happened. But what really happened was there's this this online service called Unroll.me. I don't think we've ever recommended it on the show. If we have, I apologize, but. But Unroll.me um, is a free service that you hook into your email and they uh, they monitor your email for you. And the idea is they'll look for spammy and, uh, you know, stuff that you want to unroll from in terms of, um, you know, email subscriptions. And they help you automate that and do it for you in their cloud service. And then you don't have to do- deal with a bunch of email you don't want to see. But what what. I didn't realize at least was that unroll.me uh, was owned by a data aggregation company. I think it's called slice or something like that. Um, so the, a, a media aggregate, an aggregation company is a company that sells data to people. And, and what they did in this case is they, they studied, you know, you gave them access to your email so they could help you unsubscribe from things, but they were also keeping an eye on all your email. And one of the things they were keeping an eye on is any email that you had lift receipts on. And they anonymized it before they gave it to Uber, but they still were giving essentially your receipts to Uber, your Lyft receipts to Uber so they could study them. And that got a lot of people really uncomfortable that were using unroll.me. Um, the, uh, the CEO wrote an article or a blog post saying, you know, we can do better. And when he said we can do better, what he was talking about is we can tell you what we're doing your data better. They at no in- point do they have any intention of stop doing things like this. Which, you know, leads to the old saying, if you have a product that's free, then you're the product. Um, But that's what's going on. You know, there's a service out there that you can sign up for that provides you a service, helps you deal with unwanted email, but at a cost of them essentially harvesting your email and anonymizing it and then selling that data. Uh, so we got a, I got a bunch of emails from people. Um, uh, one of the reasons is because we have a sponsor, SaneBox, that that uh, is a, a web-based email service. But just in general, people asking, how comfortable are you with these types of services? And um, I, I think that we should address this kind of straight on. I um, 
Uh, I am very careful about email services that I give access to my email. In fact, when I when I first discovered SaneBox, it was uh, when I was writing the email field guide, and and I was very um, skeptical of it. I actually called the company, spoke with their security uh, boss before I would you know really even consider including it as a recommendation. This is long before they were a sponsor, so I guess it's a little bit of a mix here. They're a sponsor, but this is editorial content. They they don't know we're talking about it. None of their business. Um, but the way Samebox does it is responsibly. First of all, they charge you money, you know, um, uh, so they don't need to go sell your data in order to make money. They get it from you. And it, we even hear from listeners sometimes say it costs too much money. I'm like, I'm okay with that. It costs enough money for them to keep the lights on without selling the data. I'm good. Uh, the second thing they do with their services, they only look at the the sender or the recipient information isn't it the headers? They're looking at the information in the headers? Yeah. So it's the subject matter and the people on the email. They don't actually see the body of the email. So they, I'm not giving them as much access as, um, as you are with some of these other services. And it's a company that's using it responsibly. So uh, you have to put on your big boy and big girl pants when you're going to deal with something like this. And be very careful about what services you deal with. Uh, I think that services like Samebox are great. I still pay for it. I will continue to pay for it. Um, in fact, I think if anything, this whole thing illustrates why you want services like Samebox. But the um, but you know, I think you should be wary of companies that want access to your email, your photos, your your Twitter account, your Facebook account, and they they they, they want to give it. They want you to give it to them for a free service because quite often those free services are just basically a lure to get you in and use your data. I also think I'm a little, maybe I'm a little paranoid and I just, you know, I, I'm uh, of age where I don't like having my data used like that. I think maybe sometimes people are less upset about it than I am, but I think you need to be careful about this stuff. Well, I, I think the, the big thing that you said and it bears repeating is if you're not, I think you need to know what a business, what their business model is. And certainly you can there, can, there can be pay for services that have bad business practices or that supplement their income by selling your, your information. So just because you pay for something um, doesn't necessarily mean that they have good privacy policies. But if you don't pay for something uh, or if you pay a very minimal amount for something, um, th- there is a good bet that there's something going. They're getting their money from somewhere. Um, there's, there's a good bet that there's something going on. Um, well, like I read one of the articles I read about Unroll Me, and I don't have this as I have. I'm not journalist here. I'm, I, I don't have first party information on this. But one of the re- articles I read said that they started out as a company that was just trying to get a lot of users, and and that's one of the ways you go free. Get go free to get a lot of users and and build so they can be acquired. Yeah, yeah. Or, and that's what happened is they got acquired by a data aggregation company, and maybe when they started out, they didn't intend to become. Uh, what they are now, but they are. And, and whenever you sign up for a free service, I think that's the kind of stuff, the risk you're putting yourself at. Right. So, so uh, with that being said, that kind of leads into another question is, you know, what are we using with email these days? You know, what services are we using? What plugins are we using to get our email done? I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start with that. Um, and that's a, a question that, that we get asked quite regularly. Um, I use iCloud for my personal email and have not really had any, I've had a few, but not really had um, any major issues with that. Um, I use Google Apps for business for, it's now called G Suite. 
um, for my business email. And it's, it's, it's a paid application. I are paid, paid service. I pay, um, depending on the services and features you want between five and $10 per user per month for, for my business. And, um, although it is Google and if you have a free Gmail account, you know, Google does do certain things to, to collect data and, and monetize your email. Um, the rules are a little different with, with G suite because you pay for them, um, programs, but Google has a, a lot of services and features that I use. I use two factor authentication on my email. Um, it syncs well. It has a lot of plugins and, and features. So, um, I'm, I'm using the, the G suite, uh, apps of, of services for my email right now. Um, I'm also using a couple of, of email plugins and, and providers now. Uh, probably the big one that does about 90% of everything that I need is, is SaneBox. Uh, and we've talked about that at length, so I won't, I won't turn this into an ad for them, but I'm, I'm using SaneBox on uh, both my personal and my, my business-related accounts. And I've been a subscriber of theirs for, for several years. The other thing um, that I use as it relates to email I use a couple of plugins. Um, the the two big ones that I use are um, Mail Act On and Mail Tags. Although I will say that I've kind of fallen off the bandwagon a little bit with Mail Tags, and that that may be one that that kind of falls by the wayside, um, just because I found that Search is so good in Mail. Um, I I don't need tagging as often as I do. Um, mail Act On though I like because it's very easy with a few keyboard strokes um, to quickly file and put mail in in places where where it goes. Um, but it also gives you a couple of other features. And one of the ones that I use all the time um, is it gives you the ability to send email later. Now, you're, uh, because it's running locally on your machine, um, your computer does have to be on it. It will work with PowerNap, although you may not get the email to send exactly when you want it to send. Um, but you can delay send email. So you can send email 20 minutes from now, um, or you can send email at a specific designated time. So tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. or whatever you want to do. Um, one of the reasons that I do that is I try to set realistic expectations um, with email. I try not to set, uh, check email all day long. I try to only check at certain times a day. And I also try to get um, my personal and professional contacts used to the fact that I am not available for email 24-7, and then if an email comes in after hours or on the weekends that is not an emergency, by my definition, not by theirs, that they're not going to get a response. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't type out the response because I want to get the email out of my inbox and deal with it. Um, but many times in the evening, I'll respond to emails, but I'll delay send it so it doesn't send until 9 o'clock the next morning. Um, so that response doesn't go out until, you know, during during working hours um, so that the expectation isn't set that I'm available and working at 8 p.m. Or, or those types of things. So I, I use that quite a bit. The other thing that I'm experimenting with, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if it will stick, is there is a service um, called Boomerang that is available as a Gmail plugin. Um, I have not paid for it yet. You, you're allowed so many free uh, trials um, before you pay for it. And I, I haven't exceeded that yet. And I'm not sure if I'm, it's worth it. Um, but specifically what it will allow you to do because I use Google apps for, um, business, um, is boomerang will allow you to delay, send an email without being online. And remember I said, although mail act on will allow you to send mail later, your computer has to be on. And that's usually not a problem for me. My computer is usually on, 
But um, if you want to make sure that that email sends or, you know, so if I'm using Gmail, I can actually go in through the Gmail interface. And I've done this occasionally, like I did it while I was on vacation. I had a couple of reminder emails to people that I wanted to go um, at a specific time when I knew that I wasn't going to be in the office and my computer at the office was going to be off. So I composed those emails actually through the Gmail web interface and then had them scheduled to send at a specific date and a specific time um, using Boomerang. So I don't think it's something that I'm going to use very regularly, but I think for that odd occasion when I need it, it is what I'll use. Uh, what about you? I'm I'm very similar to you. I mean, you know, we've been covering these for years on Mac Power Users, and the cream definitely rises to the top. And um, uh, uh, Mail Act on and Mail Tags, I think, are two of the best quality mail plugins there are for Apple Mail. And, and they add a lot of features, uh, sometimes more features than you can think of. Um, I've been working with Mail Tags more recently. I've been trying to, you know, get more into using tags on my Mac. If anything, is a filing device and Hazel trigger than, than anything else. And adding mail tags to emails is is not a problem on the Mac. It, it doesn't work on the iOS devices, which I spend a lot of time working on. So then I get this inconsistency. So I'm not sure where I really fall on that spectrum. But there's enough features between mail act on and mail tags that no matter what it is you want, it's going to help you out. Uh, the one feature in SaneBox that I've been using a lot over the last couple months that I never really used enough, I think, to begin with are these reminders uh, which is when I send an email to someone, I can blind copy it to, you know, one week at samebox.com or two weeks or five days or March 7th or whatever. They, it's very, it's very open, but you just send it to some length of time or some date at samebox.com and you put that in the, the blind copy. And, and then if you don't get a reply to that email by that time, you get a reminder and um, I was, uh, I find that really helps me not drop the ball on things. Like if I send something to somebody uh, I don't really want to take the time to create OmniFocus tasks to follow up on an email, but this is a kind of very quick and dirty way to do that. And as I've been using that more, I think I've been becoming more efficient with that. Uh, in terms of email um, technologies, I am 100% in with IMAP. My business account, Max Sparky account, personal account, everything is on an IMAP-based server. My personal stuff is on iCloud, but the other stuff are on IMAP accounts that I purchased um, uh, you know, through, um, uh, you know, through various vendors over the years, but they're, they're all great and reliable and I'm happy with them. Uh, so, but, but that's it. And in terms of email, uh, I guess while I'm on the mm-hmm. topic, email apps, it's the other question we get off and uh, we've done shows on it and I'm always kind of in motion on this. I'm always looking for the next great thing, which I guess means I haven't really found it yet, but generally on, on the Mac, I am Apple mail. And I've tried, you know, Airmail and the other ones, but Apple Mail works, especially when you use these plugins Katie's talking about. And on iOS, I, uh, I've, I spent a lot of time with a lot of different apps over the last six months. Right now, I'm back to using Apple Mail, which is pretty solid, and, and Dispatch, which is just really powerful. I mean, because Dispatch for me pushes a lot of the right buttons. It has text expander integration. I love the way when I hit reply, it, it puts the name of the person in for me. So I don't even need to type the name of the person and the sharing feature to OmniFocus and a lot of the other apps I use is, is very powerful. The print to PDF feature is great. So, so I, I have both apps on my home screen if it makes any sense and I, I use them both. Uh, I 
use almost exclusively Apple Mail. Um, I, I would say 99% of the time I use Apple Mail. I, I have bought Dispatch and I do use it very, very sparingly. It, it, it's like if there's only if there's a specific use case, um, do I use do I use Dispatch? Um, I will say that one of the things that is essential to my processing mail is Text Expander and the Text Expander um, uh, keyboard. Uh, because I have a lot of snippets that I use for helping me process and, and reply to email. But I, I am almost 100% exclusively in, in Apple Mail. And I've tried other email clients. There's just nothing that really beats the convenience of, of using Apple Mail and, and using a first-party service I found thus far. Did you ever use that text expander snippet I posted that, that takes the person's name and puts it in the email? I I do that, but I don't know if I got it from you. But yes, it, where I just have high semicolon and it says hello, whoever their name is. Yeah, isn't that great? I mean, I I'll, I'll put a link to it. It's it's a super uh, useful feature in Apple Mail. You just hit like for me, it's X high, X high. We'll say hi, Katie, comma new paragraph, and it's just a little script that pulls the name out of the recipient. It doesn't always work if the person's email isn't set up just right, and occasionally it stops working. You have to restart the app, but. Man, it's useful. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of this show. Just go to freshbooks.com MPU. I'm an independent worker, and I know what it's like. You're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, preparing for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Sometimes you get so busy taking care of your clients and your work that you forget to bill them for it. That's not as unusual as it sounds because billing takes time and effort. That's where FreshBooks comes in. They build tools to make these challenges easier for all of us. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To help the self-employed make money, FreshBooks has been working tirelessly on an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. The new FreshBooks has been redesigned from the ground up, and it's custom-built to work exactly the way you do. You'll be able to be more productive and organized while also getting paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. You can even build your invoices with the what-you-see-is-what-you-get interface, so you'll see them exactly how your clients will. And by the way, they look pretty beautiful. You'll be able to set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, and this is why FreshBook customers get paid up to four days faster. One of FreshBooks' more clever features is tracking when your client sees your invoice. You just log into your account and you can see if they've actually opened the email with the invoice attached. That way you have no more guessing games and no more of those chaser emails. FreshBooks also has an all-new notification system that you can think of as your personal assistant. Every time you log in, you'll get an update on what's changed with your business and what needs your attention. All of these new features are coupled with a beautiful redesign, focusing on simplicity and clarity, giving you a bird's eye view of your business at all times. And I think that's really important for small businesses because it's really easy to lose track of that. So head over to freshbooks.com MPU to get that 30 day unrestricted free trial. Make sure to let them know you heard about them here at the Mac Power Users so they know you came from the show. Thank you so much, FreshBooks, for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. All right, another question we get a lot is um, iPad users talking about getting documents and file management between 
the Mac and iOS. So this is the people who are using both platforms and they really want to be able to, to access everything everywhere. And they're asking how we're doing it. Easy, right? <laughs> well, it's not as hard as it used to be. Uh, when the iPad first showed up, you had to plug it in with a copper cable to get a document over onto the iPad. But uh, uh, now it's got pretty good integration with cloud services. Uh, just the question is, you know, how do you want to go on about that? Uh, there, there's a couple different technologies. I would say, you know, the Apple approved one is iCloud storage. Um, iCloud storage we've talked about on the show is, is done pretty well. It's pretty stable. Um, implementation in my opinion is not there yet. They, uh, especially on iOS. I mean, we talked about this with Federico, so I'm not going to go on at length, but, but saving files to cloud storage on iOS is, is a nightmare. If you use iOS, if you're, if you're putting a lot of, if you're putting a lot of folders in iCloud and you want to save something to iCloud from an iOS device, it just it's it's a terrible implementation, which I cannot believe Apple still has out there. But I won't say anymore. Um, so so the the answer that I'm using is Dropbox. You know, I I, tr- I did the grand experiment with iCloud. Ultimately, I went back to Dropbox, and I'm I've been pretty happy with it. Uh, so you want to set up a structure that makes sense. Uh, I think nested folders are a great way to go. Because on iOS, it's a lot easier to tap through folders than do long scrolling lists. So where you can have multiple hierarchies tap through, which is my whole problem with with iCloud, by the way. Um, and and the Dropbox app is done very well. Uh, I keep the Dropbox app on my home screen on my iPad, not on my iPhone, but I do a lot of file stuff on my iPad. So I can just go into the Dropbox app at any time. And one of the nice things is with the way extensions have been implemented on iOS, um, you can get at Dropbox-related files either from the app directly or from the Dropbox app. But in my head, it makes a lot of sense to do a lot of the stuff directly from the Dropbox app. So I'll open it up. I've got the hierarchy. And of course, this is duplicated on the Mac. I guess the, the, the answer to this question really is iOS-focused because on the Mac, no matter which one of these you use, there's a folder structure in Finder that you can go get to anything you want. So on the Dropbox app, you go in there, you can click through. It's got kind of like a, a, um, a cascading list of folders. You can tap through till you get to the one you want. And then from there, you get to the share sheet. And the share sheet allows you to get into whatever app you want. If you've got a PDF, you can pick your PDF app of choice and just drop it in there. Um, if you've got you know a Word document, uh, Dropbox works really well with Microsoft Word on iOS. I think that's probably one of the best implementations that allows you to edit in place. Have you ever done that, Katie? Edited a, a Word document on the iPad? Mm-hmm. It's great, right? I mean, you don't even really have to think about it. Um, the, uh, so then you get back to whatever uh, file you want. Now, not all files work as well as Word documents. PDFs, going back to the original example, largely will create a copy in the app you want. Like I go, I was just editing a contract last night in PDF pin. So I went to Dropbox, I opened it up in PDF pin. When I was done, I renamed and saved it uh, to my client file that said, you know, contract XYZ hyphen DWS annotations for, you know, my initials. And then I saved it back to Dropbox as a second copy. And then the trick there is I always immediately delete it from PDF pin once I know that copy has been saved because I don't want to open up PDF pin and see 17 contracts in there and not sure if those are things I need to be keeping or putting somewhere or saving over again. And every time I leave it there, I, I always forget what I, why I had that there 
And then I have this little existential crisis the next time I open the application. So that's the way I do it. I mean, I, I find apps that I trust and use, and then I, I manage it through Dropbox. Um, the other things you can do in the Dropbox app on iOS is you can create folders and do tons of file management stuff. Um, what you can't do in iOS is select multiples, which is just a big pain in the neck. So uh, if you want to do serious file management, I recommend getting on your Mac and doing that. That's one of the, the worst experiences on iOS, in my opinion, is file management. But it works. You know, it works. It just, just have one system. I think you shouldn't have a whole bunch of different ones. Uh, because I write and talk about the stuff, I'm always testing the other ones. And, and take my word for it right now, I think Dropbox is probably where you want to be. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm really curious to see uh, what happens with the with the new OS when whether whether this gets any better. You know, whether we don't have to stop remembering oh w- which apps are the privileged apps and have direct access and can do these special things and which can't. Yeah, that would be nice. That <laughs> would be nice. Or I'm curious to see if Apple just fixes the save to iCloud button. Oh boy. I mean, I. It's been a year. It's been. I mean, I I know I keep banging on about this. Have you like personally written to them? Have you gone to apple dot com slash feedback? I mean, have you done all these I, things? I said su- I submitted tickets to Apple. I did a blog post on it. I heard from people at Apple okay. that are equally unhappy about all right, it. Because you don't get to complain unless you've actually done something about it. I mean, I've done stuff. Trust okay. me, I've talked about it on the show, and you know. But the, uh, I don't know, I, I'll never know the story. Maybe somebody will tell me the story one day. But that that is one of my little um, serious pet peeves with Apple is this. You put this, together this cloud-based storage system that works pretty great. But if you have more than five folders, it doesn't work on your iPad. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Seems to me like an easy problem to fix. But the... Um, uh, we'll find out, you know, in fact, we're going to, you know, we're heading into WWDC period. Silly season is officially starting. We're already getting rumors. And in June, Katie and I will be talking about whatever it is that Apple does. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just waiting for Federici to get on stage and announce that we fixed it with like some kind of hat tip to Sparky. Like the, the folder in there will be named something. I don't think I'm that far up the chain. Katie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he has no idea who I am, but the, uh, but either way, I, I would like to see them. It just seems to me a natural. Um, if people are you, if they want us to use these devices for real, you know, they're putting commercials on TV saying, "You don't need a new laptop. This new iPad will solve all your problems." Unless you want to, of course, save five files at the t- at the same time or two. You know, come on. I think I turned that into a bit of a rant. I was just going to say, anything else you need to get out of your system there. No, no. I, 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 what I want to, I guess I'd just go back to say the, the original question was not asking me to rant and uh, file management between the two systems is absolutely possible. I think you need a backbone. And right now that backbone is most likely Dropbox, but there are a few little quirky things that, um, that needs to get sorted out on a, the iOS version. I, I went to, um, when I went to Florida, I wrote a post about, do I bring the laptop? You know, do I bring the laptop with me or not? I, I couldn't make up my mind because I just didn't want the weight and the extra. You know, I just want, it's, it's sexy to just be, hey, I'm Mr. iPad. I can get by with it while I go on my trip. And it wasn't a trip that had a lot of serious work with it, but there was a couple client things that were happening that I thought might come up. And the one thing you don't want to do is say, Hey, you're paying me to solve your problems, but I can't solve them right now because I got too um, cocky and didn't bring the right computer with me. So uh, ultimately I brought it, didn't need it at all until the day before I left. And there was a big um, contract issue. I was working with a client. This client is a developer and likes to work in Google Docs. 
for contract stuff. And Google Docs does have track changes in it. But I didn't, I wasn't aware of this until I was sitting there in the hotel trying to do this. You can't track changes on the iPad with Google Docs, even though they have an app. The whole track change thing just doesn't work. I mean, you can see them, but you can't add them. And uh, they just have never got around to implementing that. So that's just like one more example of it's so close, but then there's like one feature in one web service that I need. And if I don't have it, I can't get my work done. So fortunately, I had my Mac with me to pull it out and take care of that. Thank goodness you brought your Mac. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Katie Floyd. What about you? What did you bring on your trip? Everything. Well, you got to remember, I was gone for two weeks. And so I, and I'm like you, I'm a one woman. Well, I'm a one woman show. You're a one man show. But um, I will tell you, I only pulled it out a couple of times. But um, there were a couple of things that I, you know, I had to file and and I had, I had to make sure that I had a working office to have the tools that I I needed to do. But I will tell you on the trip, I was probably 90% iPad for um, email and quick responses and, and those types of things. But I, I definitely brought the Mac because I knew that if I needed to get certain things done, that the Mac was the only way that I was I was going to be able to do that. Yeah. The closer that number gets you as we get into the 90s, like, yeah, 90% of the work can get done. That extra 10% bugs me. It bugs me more than it was within when it was 50%. Like if I could only do half of the work on the iPad, it didn't bother me as much as I can now do 90%, but there's like an extra 10% that just doesn't work. That That is more of a problem for me than when half of the stuff didn't work. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and it was my first time on a, you know, well, I guess it wasn't my first time traveling, but I did take the MacBook, uh, the new 13-inch MacBook Pro. Um, and I being on a trip like that, because I didn't have to interface it was it was different um, when I when I traveled with the MacBook Pro to Chicago, um, you know, I was giving a presentation. I had to interface with other people. I had to potentially share and swap files. I had all of that stuff going on, and so I had to bring all of my adapters and all of my dongles and those types of things. And it it felt like, for lack of a better word to describe it, it felt like a much heavier trip with with the MacBook Pro because I had to bring not only the MacBook Pro but I had to think about all of the other things that I had to pack with it. Um, for this trip, because it was just me and I didn't have to think about anything else, I didn't have to think about interfacing with anybody else. Um, I knew that whatever I was going to do was just going to be me and the keyboard and the internet. Um, and the ship had Wi-Fi. Um, I didn't have to bring anything other than the power cord. So, um, well, and of course the adapter because of the you know plug types and and those types of things. But I'd bring that anyway. And so it it was fine because it's so thin. I have a 13 inch model. It's so thin and light now. Um, you know, I just I just brought it in a sleeve and and tossed the the power cable in the bag, and and that was that. So it it didn't it didn't feel like a burden to me. You know, it's I mean it's bigger than an iPad certainly, but not not significantly so. No, I it, it's it's a really nice machine. Uh, so long as it works for you. Um, another one that uh, I've been hearing from listeners, we've been getting emails in, uh, is just what am I doing these days about document capture? I mean, we're big fans of the scan snaps. We've been, you know, we've had them as sponsors on the show for many years. I love mine. Uh, but people are writing and saying, hey, you know, these these phones are getting better and better at capture. What's the mix for you? You know, what are you doing with your phone versus your scanner? And for me, that's really easy. Um, the they're right. The cameras and the phones are great. Uh, scan. I'm using ScanBot these days, but you know, um, 
Scanner Pro from Riedel, and there's a couple other really good ones out there. Um, there's just some really great apps to, to do this stuff. Uh, but I find them still tedious for any kind of significant work. Like when my mail comes in, I'm not getting my phone out to take pictures of every individual piece of mail, especially a bunch of them are two-sided and it's just crazy. I have this great scanner. I, I stick it all in there. I zip it through. I'm good. Uh, where I am finding uh, I like the phone app is like portable documents or on the road type documents. Um, always now when I'm at the restaurant, I if I'm going to save the receipt, I scan it. Um, always now when I'm at the store, like if I buy something, cause it seems like they print the paper, they're printing receipts on stores now is, um, is made to it's thermal paper. So if you, any, if you keep it for more than a few minutes or you stick it in the dashboard of your car, it's gone. Yeah. Or if you even just like stick it in your pocket and it gets a little crinkled, all of a sudden you start losing things. And if it's a product you want to return later, or if there's just a problem with it, you know, to have a receipt. So, uh, store receipts, I'm finding I scan all the time. Rarely do I use it to scan full-size documents. Um, I was like at a, th a legal thing and there was a piece of paper of evidence that um, the uh, the other side was, uh, I think he was playing hide the ball with me and suddenly this piece of paper showed up that you know we've been waiting for a year to see. And so I took a picture of it immediately because I don't know if I'll ever see it again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just one of those situations. So, you know, I'll, I'll use it occasionally for that stuff. But uh, to answer the question, I still use having a, a real deal scanner on your desk that scans both sides of the paper and does the OCR and everything at once to me is still far superior for most of this stuff. How about you? So I um, am like you if I'm at home or if I'm at the office and I, I have I have I have ScanSnap IX 500s on my desk at home and on my desk at the office. So I have a pretty much ScanSnap anywhere that I spend a significant amount of time because that is absolutely the best place to, to scan and get everything done. And I have various workflows. You know, that, that could be another big question. How do you have your ScanSnap configured? Well, add that to the list of potential. Um, yeah. And they've got a new service coming out. So that, that may be changing. Yeah, yeah. We'll add that to the list of uh, potential topics. Um, but anytime that I'm on the go or I don't have access, um, I use Scanner Pro. On, uh, on iOS is is my scanning service of choice. And really the the way that, uh, the reason that I use that is number one, it, it does pretty good capture. It will, you know, clean up an image and straighten it and, you know, get rid of little artifacts. And, and it has OCR built in, which is huge. Um, the other reason that I use it is not only will it upload to cloud services, which, which they pretty much all will do right now, um, is they have workflows built in. And I don't know if they um, kind of worked with workflow, but they look like actual workflow workflows. Um, do you know if there was any partnership there? Or? No idea. Okay. No idea. But what you can do is you can create various workflows with your receipts. And I've, I've created a couple. Um, so you can create, um, you can upload receipts to emails or s services or whatever. But I've specifically created a, two workflows. One to upload a document to um for a, a business receipt that is, you know, related to the law business and one to save a receipt that is related to, you know, kind of the podcasting side business. And so if I'm out and I have a business related expense, I just take a picture of the receipt work. Um, the, the scanner app is set to automatically name it um, with the date receipt and then, you know, a blank for me to fill in what it is. And then I just hit, you know, one button, whether it's the, the personal or whether it's the podcasting or whether it's the legal business, and it will automatically upload it to the proper folder. It will be properly named. And that's it. I don't ever have to see it again. 
And um, those folders are shared with my CPA. So at the end of the year, come tax time, um, she, instead of getting a, a physical box of, of receipts on thermal paper that have all faded and are now just a bunch of white slips of paper, you know, from me, she gets a Dropbox that has all of the receipts, you know, with the dates, with brief, brief descriptions and with the amounts of everything that I've done. And, and the back end trick on that is to have Hazel on, on uh, looking at your Dropbox folder and sort those by, uh, you know, create subfolders to sort them by month. That's what I do. So not only does she get the folder, she, she can see all the January, the February, whatever. I was doing something similar with Scanner Pro, but ultimately I went back to ScanBot because I like they have this, what is it? I think they call it a token system where they have tokens. You know, you have a date token. You can have save tokens like the keywords for Hazel to trigger and act on an invoice. And they also pull tokens off GPS data. So I can even just put the description and I can see the location I'm at. I can just tap that and it adds a token. I think those two apps are in like this running race to see who can have outdo each other with each update, which is great for all of us consumers. That's a great idea. So yes, you're right. And I do have a Hazel rule that's running both on my Mac at home and on my Mac at the office that watches both of those respective folders. So it just gets dumped into a, either a business receipts or a podcast receipts folders. And then Hazel then sub sorts it by date based on the name into various subfolders. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create a website. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has just got you covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and you have access to all of those award-winning templates that are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've been using Squarespace to host my own website for years, and when I needed a website for my business, I chose Squarespace. I know several people in my industry who are spending hundreds of dollars a month on websites that can't even hold a candle to my Squarespace website, and it's just ridiculous. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. Thanks, Squarespace, for your support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I think we have time for one more topic. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. This one I'm interested in too. This is one that you, you did a lot of the work on yeah. and we get it repeatedly. We get a lot of questions for people asking about how do you manage access to what people can see and do um, on your networks and on your various devices. And particularly, you know, a lot of this is in the context of parental controls. Some people send it in the context of um, office environments, um, but but limiting what people have access to, or just yeah, I guess maybe if you have guests in your home and you don't want them bit torrenting, or you know maybe you just for personal reasons don't want certain content flowing over your pipes at your house. Um, uh, well, I mean, just like thinking if I was at Katie's house and I got onto her Wi-Fi, uh, most likely I could also plug into your Synology. You know, and maybe you don't want me on there looking at whatever you've got stored on it. Well, no, you can. 
Okay. Well, but <laughs> but like there, the, there is a scenario for a lot of people where that's the truth. Yeah. No, you you, you could. Um, but yeah. So th- there, there's a way that you can can do that. So one one of the first the, the reason that you can't um, is um, one of the it, so you raise a great point. One of the first things that I do um, is I run segregated networks at my house. Um, I have my network. Do you want to guess what my network is called? Um, something related to Star Trek. That that's true. That's true. Any any idea? Maybe we could. Uh, I, I, I would say we could make it like a Twitter poll and have people guess, but then I, my Twitter stream would be flooded. So uh, anyway, I'll just. Oh, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Uh, all right, it. all right. If you so the the hint is is David is correct. It is it is Star Trek related. But if you want to guess what my network name is, um, I I don't know. I I won't guarantee a prize, but we'll, we'll see if you catch it. Um. So there's that. And, and I will tell you enough that it, it is a fairly obscure Star Trek reference. So you, you have to be a, um, it, it's not that just someone coming off the street will look at it. So someone will be like, huh, that's it. And then my, my guest network um, is, is called Katie Net. So it's pretty obvious that if someone comes to visit my house, they're like, oh, Katie Net, that's you. And I'm like, yep, that's the one you want to be on. Um, whereas my network is the really cool network. So all of all of my and I set this up with Eero um, and a lot of the the modern um, routers now have the ability to set a, a real network and a guest network. So um, all of the traffic that goes on the guest network is is separate from all of the traffic that's that's on my real network. And yeah, but just uh, theoretically, if I had access to whatever your Star Trek related network is, then I could get on your Synology. Uh, no, because my Synology is um, locked down, password protected, um, and it has two factor authentication on it. Of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. All right. So you've got, so one of the things you're doing, how do you limit access is you get a router that has uh, distinct networks. We did the same thing. Our Eero has a, our network's called Sparmerica after the old Seinfeld gag with Kramer. And, and we have one called Sparmerica guest. We even have a little picture we keep in a drawer that says the name of the network and has the password for the guest network. And whenever we have a party or a bunch of people over, we literally just hang it on the wall <laughs> because, you know, people are going to come in. They're going to want to know that's the world today. Right. Now, what is your password policy? with your guest network. Now for my personal network, I use a ridiculous one password password that, um, you know, is, is unpronounceable and uncomprehendable. Um, do you, I, I also use a, a good password on my guest network, but I make it a little bit easier. What about you? Oh, our, our guest network password is, it's not, um, it's pencil. It's not pencil, but it, it's something that's easy to spell and remember and type in. I, I, uh, that's, you know, I, I don't think it's nice to give your guest network people this crazy password that is almost impossible to hit right the first time. Right. Okay. Th- th- I kind of agree with you. Um, I mean, it, it, it is, it still uses good password practices, but it's, it's reasonable is, is what I do with that as well. All right. So, so the first thing we're going to tell you to do, set up a guest network and that, that solves one of the problems with having people come over. And, and you can really limit with those guest networks. Once you have them on a separate network, then you're uh, isolating them from any data you don't want to see. And you can put limits on those networks. The, those routers are very powerful. They give you ways to, to set what people can and can't do. Um, the other thing that I do, and I did a video on this years ago, and although the interface may have changed somewhat, the information is still good. I am a big, big fan of OpenDNS. I run OpenDNS at my home. I run it at my office. 
Um, I am really happy with OpenDNS. We actually had someone post on the Facebook group a little while ago about they've been bought out by Cisco or they, I think it was Cisco, are they still in business? I'm like, yes, they, that apparently happened quite some time ago. And um, yeah, they're still in business and, and booming more than ever. Um, but what, what OpenDNS will do, and they actually have a, a, a shield program that you can pay for, it's very reasonable uh, yearly amount, um, is it will allow you to configure some basic parental controls and settings for your network. And then you can even choose to get very granular. And it will allow you to do things like um, filter out um, questionable content on your network. So um, if you don't want in, if you don't want um, BitTorrent traffic, or if you don't want file sharing, I, I probably shouldn't say BitTorrent traffic, I should say like file sharing services uh, to be accessible from your network. You can filter that out. Um, if you don't want pornography accessible from your network. Um, now, it's not 100%. It's not perfect. But OpenDNS has um, categorized uh, hundreds of thousands of sites uh, probably more and said, you know, these are sites that fall into particular categories. And if it detects that you've gone to those certain sites, uh, or if you try to access those certain sites, it will filter them out. And if you really want to freak your kids out, um, you, you can track. You can track if those sites have been accessed and where they've been accessed from. But if you don't want to track, you can turn tracking off. You, you can set like a custom um, this site has been blocked page and you can set a picture of yourself like with a very stern look or pointing your finger and saying like, no, no, no. Wow. You, that, you can't go to this password. parental interference there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I think that that would be hysterical the first time it happens. Can you imagine? Be like, oh my gosh, what did, what what is mom doing? Does she know? <laughs> She's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm totally gonna do that. By the way. Um, yeah, I, I bet you will. I bet you will. <laughs> but but the, even if you don't necessarily want to filter content, they've got some some lightweight filters. Uh, there are a lot of people on the internet who will domain squat on. Uh, the, you know, I think they call it typo squatting. So if if you type in a URL and you make a common typo, you know, if you're trying to go to Amazon.com and you mistype, or if you're trying to go to White House and you mistype, um, that will take you to some pretty nasty places. It'll either take you to phishing websites or it will, will take you to objectionable content websites. So it's very easy to accidentally end up innocently someplace that you don't want to be. Um, and OpenDNS can help block some of those types of things, and they'll help block um, sites that are known malware, malware distributors and those types of things as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm sorry. Open DNS is a is a great solution for people. Um, there's also some, and and just to be clear, when you set up Open DNS, it governs all the traffic that goes through your router. Yeah, you set up at the router level. So whether your kids are using a, a mobile device or a tablet, a a, a Mac, uh, or even when their friends come over and log on to your network, it's going to block everybody inside your four doors, uh, inside your four walls. So that's great. Um, if you want, so I think that is the combination of a guest network plus open DNS for a lot of people, that's going to be all you need. I mean, I think if you set up those two things, you're going to have a lot of control over what happens and, and doesn't happen on your internet connection. Um, if you've got kids, you may want to go to another level with this. And that's where we start talking about parental controls and, you know, what can you do? A Apple, I think has done a pretty good job over the last few years of adding parental controls and limits on how your devices can be used, uh, both on iOS and Mac. Um, we talked recently on the show about making sure you have separate user accounts and not auto login. So you can have a user account for your kid on your Mac where it does have time limits and abilities to enforce these things. 
Uh, what we haven't talked about much over the years is iOS parental controls. Um, there's a couple products that I think, and I haven't used these to be honest with you. My kids were too young to have iOS devices when this was a real concern. And now as they're older, I, I basically trust them. I mean, I do have open DNS running, so I guess they're not going to get in much trouble, but the, um, but I don't feel the need to, to limit the amount of time they put spent on their devices. You know, we have a, we have the agreement in our house, as long as your grades are doing well and you're, you know, taking care of the things you're supposed to be taking care of, I'm not going to, you know, micromanage your life. Um, but, uh, there are a couple, uh, if I had younger kids, I'd be very interested in a couple products. Um, uh, the first one that I was interested in is this one called Kirby C U R B I. And it's a, it works through an app that installs on the device. So it applies, it gets you out of the four walls, I guess is the question. If the kids have an iPhone and they can't get onto bad websites at your house because you have open DNS installed. What happens when they go to school and they're on, you know, the um, the LTE connection or when they go to a friend's house where the parents haven't like locked things down? That's what something like Kirby solves for you. It sets the time and the websites that they can go to. Now, can you explain a little bit how that works? Have you tried it? It, it, it works through an app installation. I, I tested it about three years ago when they were first kind of making their splash and you've got a way to monitor as a parent you've got a, like a control screen and it works really great i mean I, I think it's a it's a good solution um you can set you know it's got massive numbers of controls so whatever your particular problem is if you don't want them to be on facebook or if you don't want them to be on snapchat i mean you've got control over however you want and i think it's a great idea um, it is free for up to two devices. So it, it's not, you know, if you've just got one or two kids, you can get in there and give it a shot, see what you think. Uh, the way they make money is as you add more devices, like it, I know a lot of schools are using it and, and larger implementations and that's where they make their big bucks. But, and, and it's two devices, not two people. So if your kid has an iPhone and an iPad, uh, you're good. But if you have two kids with iPhones and iPads, you're going to end up paying them something. Uh, but I think that's a, it's a, it's a very uh, good solution worth checking out. The other one that's more recent, do you want have you looked into this one from Disney? I've looked into I've not I don't have any personal experience, but I've looked into it and it seems really intriguing. It's it's Disney Circle, which is an interesting business for for Disney to get in. It's it's a little little different from what they've typically done, but it's a hardware device that you you hang off of your network um, and it detects what is on your network and it interfaces with your um, anything that is connected and in various types of platforms and allows you to set up parental controls and when devices can be online and, and when it can't. So it's like a dedicated parental control unit. It's a very interesting idea. But it's a network based, right? I mean, if the kids leave the house, doesn't work for them. That's the thing I couldn't. I, I don't out. think so. It's um, ninety nine bucks. It's available at like Best Buy and Amazon, or of course the Disney Store. It, it's interesting. It's it's worth looking at, and it, I think because it plugs into your your network, it's got to only work at your house. Yeah, but but I mean, I like the idea of it being a simple appliance that even people who don't listen to Mac Power users can take home and plug in. Um, I think they're onto something with it. And uh, I think there's a lot of people that want this. I mean, the studies are out there. Uh, little kids spending all their time on these screens is not necessarily good. And I mean, there's just all kinds of, I don't want to get into all the controversies, but I mean, there's one going on right now with a Netflix series that, um, you know, is pretty, some of the stories are pretty terrible about it. And 
you've got these kids sitting in their rooms, you know, watching shows about suicide and they're 10 years old and they don't know how to process that. And, uh, I, I think there's a definite interest in having products like this in our lives. All right. So the Disney circle says it, it doesn't, you know, because it's a Disney page, it doesn't really get into a lot of technical details. Um, but it says everything's covered everywhere. So it may kind of lead me to believe that it manages it when you're not on your network as well. Well, it's, it may be like Kirby. They have an app component. Yeah, it. it may. So, and the idea I think between Disney circles, it gets you beyond Apple devices. Uh, it works with, and, and it appears to be subscription as well. So you got the box and you've got nine ninety five a month for up to 10 devices. But you know what? That's not, I mean, if I had young kids, I, I would be paying something to somebody. I, I, my kids were at a weird age, you know, iPhones were too expensive to buy when they were little and iPads didn't exist. And, um, and so I, I, I think I, I dodged the bullet here. Uh, listeners that have young kids or young grandchildren, um, you gotta, you gotta think about this stuff because these little minds don't need to be exposed to everything on the internet. It's, it's a bad idea. In, the, in this guy's opinion, at least. All right. Any other questions? I mean, we've left lots of questions unanswered, but I think that means we're just going to have to have another big questions episode a couple of months later. Keep, keep sending in your big questions. And we'll, like I said, we'll do this every three or four months. I really enjoy doing it um, because there are topics that we just can't cover in just a short little blitz. And there are topics that don't get a full show. And I feel like we got all of, a bunch of those nailed today. So please keep them coming in. And, and you know what, Katie, it was also kind of a nice way to podcast with you again after three weeks. I missed you. <laughs> we got to talk a lot about a, a lot about different things. You you got to remind me how um, I would be locked out of your internet. Yes, you would. Multiple times. Would. I mean, it was good. There you it go. It was all good. All right. Yeah. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, send email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or the show's on Twitter. It's at MacPowerUsers. David is at MacSparky and I'm at Katie Floyd. Of course, don't forget about the Facebook group. It is over 3,000 members strong. Um, I do want to send a special shout out to Rose, who is doing a lot of work in that Facebook group. So thank you so much for uh, being in there and keeping everybody on track and, and doing all kinds of, you're doing yeoman's work there and we, we really really appreciate it and thank you to our sponsors making light smile squarespace and fresh books and we will see you all next week <laughs>